If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. This is an ode to Napa cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa Cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa Cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. It's episode 20 of Confessions of a Marketer, and we're doing a deep dive into data. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. I'm talking with Rob Whedon this week. We're going deep on data in marketing. Next few weeks, we've got some great discussions. Next time, I talk with renowned investor Garnett Harriman about funding and marketing. Ben Afia will be back in a couple of weeks for a chat about cutting the crap in writing, and there's lots more to come, so stay tuned. Okay, the deep dive on data. We all live with data all around us, all day, every day. And we know it's critical to our marketing efforts, but what does it all mean? My guest, Rob Whedon, founded DealSignal in 2013 to help companies make the most of demand gen efforts. His firm is all about data, the freshest, most accurate, most relevant data. With that background, Rob has a unique perspective on data and marketing. So let's get to the chat. Rob Whedon, it's great to have you here on Confessions of a Marketer. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. So there's an old quote attributed to Henry Clay that says, statistics are no substitute for judgment. When you use data to drive a marketing campaign, how do you weigh your judgment or the judgment of others against against what the data tells you? Um, well, uh, you know, this this really strikes at the heart of where Deal Signal began and, and where it is today. And I'll say that to Henry Clay's point, without enough, without large enough volume of data, without enough historical data, without enough data points, um, it's often too early for statistics, predictive, or AI. Mm -hmm. There's just not enough data to actually prove a pattern, and definitely not enough data to give that pattern to an engine. So, what's interesting about humans is they actually have. <laughs> You know, complex cortexes and, and the best performers often have the best human intelligence. And so what we see is gathering a, the best team of marketers and salespeople who are often the best performers on the sales side will help you come together to identify kind of what you need to focus on, whether it be personas or messaging or target accounts or those kinds of things. And we see people often try tools. Mm -hmm. Find them to be indicative, but not the answer, and then revert to, you got to get a line between sales and marketing anyway. Let's get together. Let's get in a room. Maybe we have some insights to bring to that meeting, but we need to have people, the best people 
thinking about how this will work for us based on anecdotal data, based on initial evidence, and based on what people believe will work. And then you, then you have to test it. You have to get much more into an agile framework for running smaller bite-sized modular campaigns and things like that, seeing how they perform, and then optimizing from there or flushing it if it was the wrong focus area, sure. period. So what are the two or three points about using data in marketing you think marketers should know and put to use? Well, bad data is really painful, is really the main point. Um, bad data can just absolutely destroy. It, it, it's painful. Rob, can you define bad data? Sure. Absolutely. Um, so in marketing, we need to reach accounts. We need to reach people in marketing campaigns. And so like bad data is bad data about an account, bad domain, for example, uh, or the wrong size information. We think we should be spending a lot of energy on a company that's been acquired and they no longer make their own decisions. In fact, they have no employees anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the work in that division, right? So, so account data that's either out of date or inaccurate can harm routing or focus, or it can mess up how you look at your target market or target accounts. Bad data around contacts can literally prevent you from reaching them. And if it's out of date, inaccurate, or otherwise the contact info is wrong, you don't reach people. To sell people, to market to people, to engage them, you have to reach them. You have to reach them on multiple channels. So we feel like, you know, great data is when you can uh, have a great insight into their persona and how they can be segmented, how contacts can be reached via email. And I'll, I'm going to come back to that as the second point. Sure. Um, how they can be contacted by phone, how they can be reached across social channels, not just Twitter, but even other channels for either insights or outreach. And if you have all of that, perfected and that's one of kind of one of our goals and missions in life is to perfect that data then you have maximum reach you have maximum contactability and that's going to so back to you know drilling back up to where the two or three points it's it's bad data is the first problem how that impacts performance is the second problem and so if if you use bad data you'll get a bounce rate. That could really take a system offline for you, like marketing automation. Bad data can upset salespeople. And if they get a ream of bad data, they could lose trust in the marketing organization. So yeah, bad data can corrupt your systems, it can corrupt your process, and it can corrupt your trust between sales and marketing are the three kind of problems you'll see coming from bad data. And I guess theoretically, it could, it could also ruin your online reputation too, right? It could. Yeah. If you're reaching out to the wrong people, it actually can frustrate people. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, there's a negative feedback loop associated with uh, reaching out to people in the wrong way um, and reaching out to the wrong people. Mm -hmm. And you know, people can come back these days and tweet about you or give you a bad review on a crowdsourced review site. And so if you look at Yelp reviews or you look at, you know, just Twitter storms, those things can really uh, affect you quickly, as in the course of hours or 24 hours. Right. So you really have to watch using bad data wrongly. And as it, from a larger system perspective, it hurts you in all these different areas. But yeah, you make a great point, which is it can come back and just significantly damage you in a matter of hours or a day. Yeah. So can you tell me a few stories about how employing data shed some light on a problem, maybe increased conversions, or just generally made your life or your client's life in marketing a lot easier? 
Sure. If we yeah, if we run with kind of the concept of the first major problem we see people be surprised about, like the insight that we've found, the aha moment, is that in their current systems, and this is still shocking to me to be able to say that this is a almost perfect pattern across, you know, 30, 40, 50 data points that we have across customers. Most people are not marketing and selling to their full target audience. And that means they're not covering all the accounts that would be likely to buy their software. And they're not contacting all the people that are in those buying committees, those stakeholders that would look at buying their business services or their technologies. And so if you only have 20%, just start there. (laughs) If you only go after 20% of all the people that would uh, potentially come and buy your service or product, then you're missing 80% of the opportunity. And we find that people are not often done that kind of bottoms up assessment and really understood that. And that's probably step one for what we'd recommend to have a full strategy and plan is to understand your total audience. And then the second point to your question around personas is being able to kind of like break those down. All big problems need to be broken down into consumable chunks. That gives us also the ability to do agile. What I mean by that is if I break down the most, you know, the, the just Again, anecdotally, between sales and marketing, the best persona or series of personas with the best target accounts, running a campaign against those in a personalized way and measuring the performance of that and optimizing with sales and marketing in alignment is what we're seeing as best practice. If you do that with great data, it'll just like a just like a a high octane fuel in, in, in a high performance engine, it will work really well and you'll get great speed volume and conversion but then do it at a size and we allow and we believe it should be broken up in chunks where you can then iterate and optimize to break it down at a level that you can run it get a certain open rate get a certain um engagement point whatever that is for you and then get a conversion to a lead or a sales opportunity and then come back and say like which variant worked well of the messaging, which day of the week, which step in the process, how do we tune that? How do we optimize that? That's really, this is a practice to build. This is not just like something you plug in and works. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. All right. So if, if you're trying to convince someone to start relying on data more, what's the argument you turn to most often? And I guess then a follow-up to that is, does it work? Or, you know, sometimes, why doesn't it work? Well, I, th- I, I mean, I, I haven't found too many people that actually believe data is unimportant. Right. So I think that how they view the data like I said, this total audience concept that people may only be speaking to 20% of the 100% is something I think surprises people and it opens their eyes. I think that the one that's more tried and true, you're asking me how I might, you know, <laughs> my dad was a doctor. Yeah. I think the best situation for someone wanting your product is when they are in the emergency room, right? right. So if we flip to the other end of the spectrum, where are people most reactive? Like, this total audience concept is a little more proactive. If we look at where people are most reactive, it's where, hey, 
I just sent out a campaign and it was a disaster because I got a 35% bounce rate. Yeah. Oh, we used one of the systems that sales uses for data. I won't name names, but like, you know, we used one of those systems. We pulled a list out of it or bought a list from a list broker. And I just got a warning or I got shut off from a marketing automation system. And now I'm in, you know, I've had the worst experience that I could have as a marketer. My process has been destroyed. I have to rebuild it. So that's probably the other end of the spectrum. Completely reactive. They now have the true pain of having bad data. And they're like, I must have the most perfect data I can have. And that's what we've been trying to harness and build and perfect. Right. So that's one example. I can give others. Yeah. Yeah. Well, give me another one. Well, I think one is, and I'm much more hopeful than, you know, fear-based. <laughs> so <laughs> like, like there, there are too. different models of politicians. I, I tend to like the ones that are more hope-based uh, other than the ones that just have DEFCON 5 all the time. So, right. you know, that I gave a DEFCON 5 example because we see it and you ask like, what's the most compelling reason people turn to us, right? Yeah. And I think, I think many marketing organizations are run on DEFCON 5, you know? So, so I think that's a familiar environment for a lot of us. Yes, I'll I'll touch one really quickly and I'll go to another one that's much more interesting. So some people, to your point, um, are reactive in that, you know, they're having a bad quarter, they're in the middle of the quarter, end of the year, and all of a sudden sales like the problem is top of the funnel, we need a ton more leads, right? And and that call goes out at least once a year. It could go out once a quarter in a company that's trying to go public, right? We need more leads, we need better leads. We're the Glengarry leads, right? Yeah. And so being able not to just get a you know, general list of executives with good data, but rather get any level of the organization in any line of business, in any industry, in any region is kind of a, to be able to get, go get 10,000 of those overnight and have them be perfect on demand. We hadn't seen anybody be able to do that. We kept getting requests like that. And then we said, you know what? This isn't just about building a database with a data set and saying, hey, we've got the best data set for people that are in IT focused on analytics. And no, I mean, that was our first customer had that need. What we found is then they pivoted to line of business. You know, they, they sold IT and they pivoted to selling the line of business. They, sure. they were selling to executives. Then they pivoted to selling to what they call practitioners, the more hands-on people who can start trying products. And they kept pivoting around and we're like, well, we have to do this on demand. And if we do that, it makes them very happy. And we need to do it at volume with perfection that is very hard to achieve it's taken us you know, a couple of years to build it but like that's what i would say is um is, is one of the best use cases yeah obviously you know companies can turn to a firm like yours deal signal a lot of people want to have a, a staff member someone who understands data but finding those kinds of people people who understand data and maybe can put it to use for marketers is tough. How do you recommend marketers start their search when they're looking for that type of person? Well, I I think that if you look at the way this practice or system is built, you have like your CRM system, your system of record, you have a process automation for marketing and or sales. That's your process automation or system of engagement. You're going to put data into that system to store it and then to run it, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that people need a phenomenal we, – we've seen the best results where people have a really good operations person that understands both right. the ins and outs of like a Salesforce and a Marketo or an Eloqua 
and they understand the business purpose so they can manage scope around what should or should not be customized, integrated, et cetera. And so that operations person is kind of an unsung hero, but they're very valuable. It's a higher level task and function that stitching together the organization and the system needs rather than managing data. Another place we see people just having people manage data is in inside and you know, SDRs, mm-hmm. inside sales and business development. And what I would say is, you know, if you want to hire folks that in the Bay Area may be six figure individuals, even though they're more early in their career, and you want to have them you anybody you have in your sales organization, you want to be selling. Unless maybe you have an operations group to manage, obviously the deal desk and the deals sure. and the paperwork and that. But like the rest of the folks that are supposed to be doing sales, if they are spending 20, 30, as much as 40 or 50% of their time, and there are a bunch of statistics in the market to prove that that's what, what happens, managing data, number one, there's variability because you got now 10, 15, 25 people sticking data into your CRM system from various sources. You get a hodgepodge. You get very high variance in the results of what's in your CRM system. Most importantly, they're spending time managing data. And it's not easy to input data. They're data entry. They're not sales, which not only harms them talking to people, but building their practice of how do I sell? How do I qualify? How do I um, you know, turn this into a deal? How do I get through all the stakeholders with the right message and ROI? Like you're literally distracting them with the lowest level tasks that can be put offshore or given to robots or AI. And all, by the way, it's a horrible career to build because you those tasks will completely be replaced sure. by robots and AI. So you don't like, why would you want to ask people to spend their career on that or their selling time on that as opposed to revenue generation and the art of communicating with customers, right? Well, Rob, this has been a really enlightening discussion, uh, data in marketing. It was great to have you on Confessions of a Marketer. Thanks for being here. Mark, really nice to meet you. Keep doing what you're doing and um, we'll be listening. And uh, thank you for having us. We want to thank Rob. We could go on for hours on this subject. Data is such a hot topic. Next time, Garnett Harriman will be with us to discuss the role of marketing in securing funding. So stay tuned. This episode of Confessions of a Marketer was written, produced, and edited by yours truly. T. Jordan of A-Class Productions wrote the theme music. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Reed Edwards Global Inc., and this episode is copyright 2018. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time. You stay home for the greater good. Secondhand smoke doesn't. It drifts through cracks in walls, air vents, and sink drains, spreading toxic chemicals that can damage lungs. Secondhand vape also puts your lungs at risk, even with the fruity smells. Protect yourself and the people around you from these secondhand dangers. Learn how at tobaccofreeca.com.